Alrighty, let's go to Genesis chapter 37 verse 5. And it says, now Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. And my visitors, they, they're hiding away there. Yes, my visitors, glory to God. Now, I had a dream. And I shared this dream with Miss Vonda. And at the time, she sort of looked at me rather blankly. Because I said to her, the dream was pretty simple. I said, good evening, Miss Vonda. Good evening, Mr. Roy. I said in the dream, don't go and sell your red truck. And she said, I'm not going to sell my red truck. Why, truck, why talk about that? I said, well, if you sit and I'll kick your blessed assurance. Because you're going to come under some financial, not pressure, but under some financial challenges. And I should have been more specific. And uh, lo and behold, a week or two later, it came to pass, as I said it would come to pass, in my dream and more. In my dream it came to pass. And, and the purpose of the dream was to show Vonda A, it's going to happen. B, what not to do. And C, to wait because this too will pass for a testimony. Threefold purpose. She's now in that stage where, man, I should sell that truck. That, not that she's thinking that, but that's what you would be thinking in your rational mind. I have some equity, let me get the equity and sort out some problems. Amen. So she's in that stage where she's thinking, I need to do this. Rhonda, Rhonda mentioned something to me on Tuesday night or Monday evening. I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday now. And she said, you know, there's an opportunity for promotion at another co at my company at another branch and I'm considering taking it. That's Pakistan. And I immediately said to her, no, don't. Because in three years' time, that company, that branch is going to close down. What's the point of having a pastor prophet if you don't listen to what he's got to say? It's like having insider trading on the stock market and not using it. I mean, insider trading is illegal, but if you know what's going to happen, God gives me this information to give to you so that you can abide by it, so that you can prevent certain things from going wrong in your life. Now, Joseph has this dream, Genesis 37 verse 5, and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Glory to God, that happens to me so often. I, I tell something to people and they just hate me when I tell it. But what can I do? It's not my dream. God gives it to me to give to you. What you do with the information is yours. And tonight, I'm going to try and teach you some things to do with your dreams and your prophecies and some things not to do. Now, 37 verse 5, so he said to them, verse 6, So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and your, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. Verse 8, And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He has a man who dreamed many dreams and many words. The Bible says he had dreams. Amen. So it was more than one dream. And in his dream, the baby brother is raised up in front of all his older brothers, totally against Jewish tradition. And he is such a state that they're all bowing down to him. The baby, the smallest in the family. It's not right, according to man's tradition. It's not right, according to man's tradition, that a pastor comes from Africa and becomes senior pastor of the church. Man's tradition is not right. You see, because, I mean, how can you do that? He's from Africa. What does he know about American culture? 
So all these things are not right in our minds, is right in God's mind. And the big thing here that we can learn from this is God gave a young man, he wasn't even old enough to be a shepherd, a dream of a future occurrence. And everybody else got upset and uptight about it. Let me go a little bit further. Verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream. And he told his brothers and he said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the eleven stars bound down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept this matter in mind. Now when I told Vonda about the dream of her going through financial stress, she didn't get mad at me. <coughs> And so, oh, glory to God, all you ever prophesy is negativity. She said, thank you, Pastor. She didn't get aggro at me or anything like that. Amen. Now, I just know that I prophesied on Sunday morning, and I told people that by Passover, which is Saturday, the Pope will be re-elected. And I know that most of you thought in your minds, if that doesn't come to pass, the prophecies also false. You see, the Lord gave me that little piece of information to confirm in the hearts of those that are not present tonight that I am truly a prophet of God and I didn't miss it. Amen. Because he knew something was needed to confirm in hearts that I'm not just making this out of my sucking out of my thumb. So he gave me something dramatic that the whole world will see to confirm the individual. Because if you can believe that the Pope was going to be re-elected in such a short space of time when the, when the professionals and the religious people were saying at least 14 days. Minimum. And then he started on Monday. If you, if you can believe that, you will believe the prophecy. A lot of people didn't believe the prophecies I gave on Sunday morning. But now suddenly it's like, whoa, we didn't miss it. Only person I know who prophesied about the Pope being re-elected in December of last year, I started sharing with people that the Pope's going to be re-elected before Passover this year. December last year. Four months ago. I don't know a single person anywhere on the internet, on TBN, who prophesied the same thing. And why did the Lord give it to me? To confirm in the hearts of those who don't recognize me as a prophet. It's plain and simple. That's all it was. It was confirmation. There's nothing dramatic about it. It was plain and simple confirmation because we need to be able to say, that's a battery. And I can feel it, I can taste it, I can touch it before you receive it as a battery. And you can do nothing with a prophecy until you receive it from a prophet. Because the Bible says, to receive the prophet's reward, you have to receive the prophecy of the prophet. You've got to receive a prophet before you... If you don't recognize me as a prophet, I can tell you the sun ain't going to shine tomorrow and you won't believe it. You won't believe anything I say to you until you recognize me as a prophet. And the prophecies that I prophesy into your life count nothing until you recognize my office. And this is not about blowing myself up because it means absolutely nothing to me, whether you accept me or not. Amen? I've got that thick African skin. I couldn't care two hoots. I know from past experience, if I say, Brother Roy, you're going to fall pregnant in six weeks' time, Brother Roy will fall pregnant in six weeks' time. If God tells me to say something and I say it, it's going to happen. Amen. You just need to ask Trista and AJ. Twice I told her they're going to give birth. Twice I foretold the sex of the child. Your grandchild was prophesied right here. Right here. I was standing right here and I called him up and I said, you're going to have a child. I remember this. I remember Sean saying, 
We just spoke about that this morning. We're just thinking about that. I said, it's too late. You're going to have a child. <laughs> I don't know about that. I do. You're going to have a child. And when I prayed that that birth gets taken place quickly, just like that, it was done. There was no delay. Amen. Because I'm not some flaky person out there who just says, thus saith the Lord. If I say, this is what the Lord said to me, you can take it to the bank and bank it. Now you folks know that because you've seen the fruit. You've seen. If I said to you, you're going to fall pregnant, you're going to fall pregnant. You know that. There was a time when the woman in the church wouldn't come near me. I don't know if you remember that. There was a time when the woman came, don't, don't go near Pastor Tim. Man, he tells you you're going to be pregnant. You are pregnant. First day I met Trista, I said to her, congratulations. She said, what for? I said, you're pregnant. She said, no, I'm not. I said, don't tell me you're not. I know you're pregnant. Ten months later, she gave birth. She, she said to me, oh, I'm not pregnant. I said, well, glory to God, then Holy Spirit's lying. Well, don't say that. I said, well, then you're pregnant. I'm not pregnant. I know whether I'm pregnant or not. No, you don't. Glory to God. Now, verse 11, and his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, Jacob gets, Joseph gets a prophecy that everybody's going to bow down to him. And the very first thing that happens to him after the prophecy is found in verse 12. His brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, which is a very nice place. One day, hopefully, praise God, we'll, we'll go to Shechem. I really enjoyed Shechem. It's a lovely place in Israel. And we'll do a nice little slideshow. And ooh, that's terrible of me. Glory to God. Come, I'll send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Verse 14. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Okay, now we jump a little bit further to verse 19. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him to some spit, some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what become of his dreams. Satan tried to steal the prophecy and distract the man from the word, not realizing that the word was there to strengthen him through what he was about to go through. So if I prophesy to you that you're going to be a multimillionaire, that means pretty much 99.9% .9 you're going to be in poverty before you get to that stage. You will have to go through some stuff to get to some stuff. Because you're not going to be a worthy steward of money until you know how to look after cents. You can't look after a multi-billion organization if you can't look after three cents. Because the minute God gives you a million dollars, the first thing you're going to do is buy what your eyes see. But if you've learned to save every penny and to be almost a miser with every penny, you will be tight with the money that God gives you. And you'll only give it when God tells you to give it. You won't give it just because someone on TBN or someone on Angel or someone on DSTV or whatever the channels are tell you to give it. You'll be tight because you know it's God's money and you respect it more. So here we go. Amen. Here we go. And that's what happens here. Verse 22, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness, do not lay on hand on him, and he might deliver him out of these, their hands and bring him to his father. So it came to pass, verse 23, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors was on him, and they cast him into the pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. So they cast him into a pit. 
This is the same man who receives the vision that he's going to be the king, the prince of Egypt. Everyone's going to bow down to him, and Yari is cast into a pit. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further here. In verse 34, Then Jacob tore his clothes, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. Verse 35, And all his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, for he said, I shall go down to the grave. My son is mourning, and his father weeps for him. Amen. Now just before he's cast into the pit, he's sold to the Midianite traders who passed by in verse 28 for 20 shekels of silver. Amen. And they take Joseph to Egypt. In verse 36, Now the Midianites sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the God. So yea, he's from the pit. He sold him to slavery. From slavery, he goes to Potiphar's house. Can you imagine what he's thinking? I have this dream that I'm going to be in charge of everybody, and yet I'm in a pit. And now he's in slavery. Now he's a slave in Potiphar's house. So where's this dream coming to pass? What happened? Did God miss it or did he miss it? Amen. Someone say amen. Then we go to chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Amen. Let's go to verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. So now Joseph is very successful in Potiphar's house. And once again, Satan comes in the form of sex. Oh, glory to God. The, man, the demon doesn't change, does he? I could preach on sex for the next 16 years and still be on Satan all the time. But what's interesting, do you know what is the one prayer that we will pray over the Seder? Song of Solomon. Isn't that interesting? Amen. So here we are in Potiphar's house and he's about to get into trouble because this woman now wants what he's got. It's absolutely amazing how many women are attracted to the anointing and just don't know why they're attracted to the man. And vice versa. It happens both ways. You see, the anointing is attractive to people. Hallelujah. Verse 8, But he refused and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. And so it goes on, and so it goes on, until eventually she gets mad at him, and he gets cast into jail. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into a prison, a place where the king's prisoners were imprisoned. So here's the man who has this amazing dream. <coughs> he gets thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and back into prison. Now some of you think, well, this took place in a matter of months. Let me tell you, he spends over two years in jail. Two years in jail. Let's go to chapter 42. No, not verse 42. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Verse 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Now if you read chapter 40, you'll find that Joseph is in jail for two full years. So even if this whole process between thrown in the pit into slavery took place in three to four months, 
and Joseph becomes head of Potiphar's house, he spends two full years in jail. How many of you have the patience to wait two full years for your prophecy to come to pass? Come on, let's be honest here. Some of us can't wait two full days. He spends two full years in prison. And God uses him in prison, but he spends two full years in prison. Amen. We can learn something about Joseph here. Now, after being in prison for two full years, Pharaoh has a dream. The baker or the butler recognizes that it's a dream of God. And he calls Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream. And what do we know? The next thing in verse 40, chapter 42, verse 5. I'm skimming ahead because I've got a lot to cover in a short space of time. 42, verse 5. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. Yeri is, as prime minister, the most influential man in Egypt. He has Pharaoh's ring on his finger. He represents Pharaoh. It's taken him two years for the dream to come to pass. And yet his mother and his father eventually bowed down to him and all his brothers. But he needed something to keep him through the two year period in the wilderness. And what was it but the dream? The dream kept him focused on God's word. We get distracted too easily by our present circumstances. If God promised you a wife, it might take 10 years. And what happens in that 10-year period? Satan comes in, distracts you, and you start looking for a woman somewhere else, and you settle for second best. But you don't wait for the best to come along, because you don't have the patience. If God promises you prosperity... You think to yourself, well, glory to God, I'll go and bet you at Caesar's palace quickly and get prosperity. I'll, I'll, it's been two years. Obviously, he opened the door for me and the lottery ticket is there. That ain't no door, that's a trap. God promised me a car and two, three men arrive with nice cars. That ain't no car, I promise you, that's a trap. Satan will put a similar situation in front of you and you think well that's god but there's just one little area missing guess what it ain't god if it doesn't line up 100 percent with the word given over you it's not god because god is accurate if the pope had been elected after the 23rd of april 2005 i would have missed it he said before Passover, not during and after. He said before. God does not miss it. Man misses it. And if I had missed it, you could have thrown all those prophecies out the window. Because they weren't, obviously they weren't accurate. That's how serious we need to start taking prophecies. If God says to you, you will get a man and he has gray hair, big ears, blue eyes and small feet. And a gray hair, big ears, large footed, blue eyed man arrives. It's the wrong man. Don't take him. He's the wrong person. 
Because Satan will bring you a Duracell battery that says Panasonic, but praise God, it's a 9-volt Duracell battery to you. Well, Panasonic, Duracell, what's the difference? The difference is Panasonic is not Duracell. If God said Duracell, He means Duracell. He doesn't mean Panasonic. How many of you know Panasonic batteries lost me one service? Duracell battery lost me three services. Glory to God, there's something with a Panasonic battery. It is junky. It's not Duracell. God's best is not your second best. Don't take Panasonic because it's there and it's cheap and it's available. Wait for the best to arrive. God didn't say to Joseph, it's going to be smooth sailing, brother. You're going to float up there. I'm going to take you from, from little Israel and I'm going to put you into Potiphar's house and I'm going to make you prime minister of, of Egypt, just like that. He said, I'm going to make you prime minister and everyone will bow down to you. He didn't say how he's going to get to it. Yeah. If I prophesy over your children are going to get saved, you know they're going to be the biggest hooligans between now and their salvation. Because Satan is going to try and steal them. And God says, and this too will pass for a testimony. This too will be turned for a testimony. So when God prophesies, oh glory to God. Hallelujah. Someone receives a prophecy. Her son-in-law is going to get work. A year down the line, he doesn't get a job. He loses his job. Man's a false prophet. Leaves the church. Don't ever prophesy over her again or her mother because the false prophet lied. No, you had no patience. You waited 12 months and it didn't come to pass, so the man is a false prophet and you ran away. No staying power. No stick to it. Joseph spent two years in prison before his prophecy came to pass. Two years. You waited 12 months for a job. 12 months and you couldn't cope. 12 months and you couldn't cope. Oh, I don't believe in prophets. They don't exist. They will lie. Look what happened to my son-in-law. Your son-in-law doesn't have the backbone to stick to it. If the prophecy comes, you better fight for it. You better fight for it. Because Satan's going to steal it if you don't fight for it. He's going to take it like candy from a baby. Yeah, hallelujah. Now, let's go a little bit further here before we get to that. Go to John chapter 21. I want to show you some things tonight because there's some things, I mean, we've got a lot of things to cover in a short space of time. But hallelujah. Let's go to John chapter 21. Oh, hush up, you stupid thing. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Now shut up. Peace in Jesus' name. John 21, verse 18. Say amen when you get there. There's something we need to know tonight. There's something important we need to learn tonight. Because there are too many people out there in left field flaky. I've heard too many stories of, of these flaky prophecies. Amen. That could make you pretty mad. 18, 20, John 21 verse 18. Most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, so everyone say old. old. Peter's going to be old. <clears throat> Peter's going to be old. It says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Yeah. Amen. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Now, Peter gets this from Jesus Christ himself. You will be an old man, Peter. 
Peter, you're going to be an old man and you're going to be carried where you don't want to go. Glory to God. Teach us some things about the way we treat our old people. Acts chapter 12, verse number 1. Now about this time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Chopped his head off. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had rested him, he put him in a prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. He intended to kill Peter after the Passover. He couldn't do it on Passover because it wouldn't have been as effective to be known to watch it. Now he says to Peter, Hey, Peter, I've killed James. And guess what I'm going to do on Monday morning? I'm going to chop your head off. I'm going to separate your heads from your shoulders just like I did James. And you're not going to get away with it because I've got four squads of centurions. Now a centurion, if a centurion loses a prisoner, he gets beheaded. Now you know, four squads work on 12 men per squad. Multiply that by four. That gives you 48 men, trained warriors. These squads of soldiers were trained from the age of six. Now taken from their parents, from the age of six they went to military school. They weren't allowed to have a wife or child before the age of 40. These were hardcore men. If they never survived military school, they were tough. They just die. Amen. These were not little wimps who go to army when they're 18 and spend one or two years, six months basic training. These guys got trained from the age of six. These were hardcore military men. They almost ruled the world. Now you've got 48 men, and they know if they lose a prisoner, they lose their head. These are the same men that guarded Jesus Christ's tomb. Now you want to tell me that they're going to let someone roll away that stone and lose their heads in the process? Please. 48 of them are guarding Peter. Herod says to Peter, guess what I'm going to do to you in the morning? I'm taking your head, I'm separating it. Peter's busy washing his face, you can imagine this, in some water. And he looks down, and he says, but hang on a sec. I'm a young man. I'm not old. And Jesus said to me, when I'm old, when I'm old, but I'm not old, I'm young. So somebody's got to be lying. And I know it ain't Jesus. Somebody's got to be lying. Because God the Father, through His Son, spoke to me, and He said to me, when I am old. So Herod's got to be a liar. Now he's faced with 48 men of war who are about to lose their heads. He's chained to them on a cold floor. How many of you have been able to sleep in a prison cell? It's not very pleasant. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Never mind a cold, hard floor chained to 48 men. It's not going to happen. But Peter... Peter, let's look at this, was kept in prison, but constant prayers offered to God for him by the church. And Herod was about to bring him out that night. Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. He was bound fast asleep. The man's facing a death sentence in prison, and he goes to sleep. Some of you are facing a bull tomorrow morning, and you can't sleep tonight. 
Because that bill's talking back. Do you owe glory to God? Pastor said, I'm going to prosper. I'm going to prosper. But look at this. I can't even pay my bill. I open my fridge door and there's only water in my fridge. Glory to God. Not even juice. Hallelujah. I can't even go to McDonald's for supper. And he tells me I'm going to prosper. This is a funny man of God. He's just totally missed it. Because my son was prophesied as getting saved. And there he is running around with escorts. Peter is looking at his situation and he's saying, but hang on a sec. God told me I'll be old. I'm going to go to sleep. This is not my problem. So he goes to sleep. And look at this verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. And the man's sleeping. Man, a light shines in my house. I'm awake. You put a light in my bedroom, that's me wide awake. Whoa, what happened there? Julie loves to do that to me at 5 o'clock in the morning. Put the lights on. Glory to God. What happened? Who put the sun up? Now you have the glory of God descending into a prison cell and he sleeps. He sleeps like a baby. Not like a baby needs to get fed every four hours. He sleeps like a baby who sleeps through the entire night. That's peace. That's faith because he knows he's not going to die. He knows he can't die. And because God told him how he's going to die. And this is not lining up with what God told him. Man goes to sleep. And he struck Peter, verse 7, on the side and raised him up. In the Greek it says he kicked him. He had to kick him awake. That's how peaceful he was at sleep. Some of you get a prophecy. And man, the next thing, the devil comes to steal that word and you go off with him. And you chase after him. No staying power. No sticking to it. Pastor missed it. Glory to God. He totally missed it. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Hallelujah. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 21. How many of you tonight can raise your hands up and tell me that Paul was a man of God. Someone put your hand up and tell me Paul was a man of God. Well, there's one person, two, three. Put, put your hands up. Let me, let me see. I want commitment here. How many of you can keep your hands up and say Paul heard from God? How many of you would say Paul didn't need a prophet? Paul wouldn't need a prophet. He hears from God. Why does he need a prophet? Am I right? Someone say amen. Uh, you all missed it. Shh, 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 shh. Wait, wait. You all missed it. Wait, wait, wait. You all said no. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Oh, glory to God. There are four virgin daughters prophesying with the man of God who hears from God. Oh, I hear from God, Pastor. I don't need you. Yes, Miriam. I hear you, Miriam. Go out there and left field all by yourself, Miriam. But we also hear from God. Yes, Miriam. Yes, Miriam. He has four virgin daughters who prophesy and not one of them, not Steve, not, not Philip the evangelist, not the four virgin daughters, not Paul the man of God who hears from God, gets the word from God. Oh, you better hear me, people. There's something here that's important that the church is missing today. 
There are too many people who've missed the scripture. Agapus, the prophet, has to come and tell the man of God that he's going to be arrested in Jerusalem. The man, the evangelist, has four virgin daughters who prophesy. Just because you prophesy does not make you a prophet. Glory to God. Just because you're an evangelist doesn't make you a prophet. Just because you hear from God doesn't make you a prophet. Just because you dream dreams and have visions does not make you a prophet. Four virgin daughters, the evangelist and the man of God did not get a word from God. Don't get flaky on me, Miriam. Don't get flaky on me. Miriam prophesied and she missed God. Don't get flaky on me. We have too many people who prophesy, calling themselves prophets, missing it. Well, I was a year from God. Praise Jesus. It's me and God out there by myself. I've got Jesus. I love Jesus. Me and Jesus have Bible study all by ourselves. You're missing it. You're flaky. You're missing it. Just because you prophesy does not make you a prophet. Just because you're an evangelist doesn't make you a prophet. If Paul did not hear from God on that thing, that he needed an Agabus, the prophet, to hear from God, there's got to be some reason why we have prophets today. Glory to God. If Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 75% of the New Testament, needed a prophet to tell him some things, what more does we need, Miriam, to hear from the prophet? Amen. There are too many Miriams in today's church. Now let me tell you something about the Miriams. I call it the Miriam spirit. I also hear from God. Yeah, hallelujah, so do I. Let me tell you about some things. First of all, you get a word from God. You don't prophesy out of anybody until you've passed by that person's pastor. Amen. There's this lady who prophesying over two little kids. Man, this lady is so flaky. She's so far out there. She's not in the church. She's not in submission to a pastor. She's not in submission to a prophet. She's just out there by herself. And she's prophesying over these kids. You don't do that. You're going to prophesy over somebody. You speak to the father of the house. You speak to the prophet. You speak to the pastor. You don't go to someone else's church and prophesy over their people without speaking to their pastor. When I was at Pastor Jonathan's church, I said to him before the service, may I prophesy over your people? He said, yes. When I'm at Pastor Philip's church, and he wants me to preach, I say, may I prophesy? He said, yes. If he says no, I don't say a word to any of his people. Ever. Not privately, not telephonically, ever. If I'm at another man's church, and he says, I don't want you to prophesy, I don't care what the Lord tells me. I shut up. It's not my place to prophesy in another man's house without his permission. We do it in submission to the man of the house or the pastor. Now, you have a word for each other, you better pass it by me. Or you'll get a spiritual slap. I will rebuke you. Because we can get into divination so quickly. Now, everybody I know always comes to me and says, Pastor, I've got a word. Can I share this? First tell me, then we share it. We don't need any more flaky prophets. Amen. We have enough of them out there. 
Every day I come into contact with people who've been hurt by flaky prophets. Is well, hallelujah, but not getting that subject. This is serious stuff. You have a word for somebody, God's going to hold you accountable if you missed it. If you run it past me, he holds me accountable if you missed it. You out there in left field by yourself, you'll get eaten. Now this is a good time to bring in the prayer meetings that we have. We used to have a prayer meeting here on a Friday night. Oh, glory to God. shouldn't call it a prayer meeting. We should call it a, a flaky meeting. You see, I wasn't here. And some flaky stuff developed. Which led to some flaky, more stuff. Which led to some rebellion. And that harvest has come home now. For these people that are involved. And they're picking the fruit of the flaky seed they put out there. Now, let me give you a scripture verse for this because I know people are looking at me like I'm funny. So let's go to the first book of Corinthians, chapter 14. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. If I have a prophecy... 1 Corinthians chapter, 20, chapter 14, verse 29. I found Pastor Philip and I submit myself to his authority. I even prophesy to Pastor Philip. I prophesy into his life. <laughs> yeah. And Pastor Philip will share his prophecies with me. I am in submission to Pastor Philip. Now, that's really great fun because... I've had people go and see Pastor Philip two years ago or a year and a half ago and try and tell him things about me. Oh, man. That was great fun to behold. I didn't hear it from him, but I heard them yelling at them from Frankfurt. And when I saw him at a meeting one day, he shared with me one night. Alberta shared with me one night and said, someone tried to phone Pastor Philip at home and, and complain about you and something you said. I said, yeah, I heard it in the spirit. Lord shared with me what happened. She said it was a mess. See, that's, that's the bond of covenant that I have with Pastor Philip. Now, Pastor Philip's a prophet. So I submit my prophecies to a prophet. I don't phone another pastor and submit to my prophecies to another pastor because he's not a prophet. I submit to the prophet. Even the flaky stuff I think is flaky. I say, Pastor Philip, the Lord told me that the Pope's going to die before Passover and anyone's going to be elected. And he said, man, that's wild. And I said, yeah, what do you think? He said, yeah, that'll happen. I said, amen. I submitted another prophecy to him yesterday. And he said, man, you know what, Tim? Ten years ago, I had the same word. Different, different, different picture of the same word. He said, I haven't told anybody. I thought it was too wild. I said, well, Pastor, that's what the Lord told me. He said, amen. It must come to pass because we both have got the same word. We need to be in submission, people. The minute you're not in submission, you're in left field. You're flaky. Let me tell you something else that's going to happen. Let me tell you this thing. A bunch of men get together for a prayer meeting. Amen. The next thing, a bunch of men want to start a church. The next thing, we have another church. Now, this sounds like a good idea. There's just one problem. Can you imagine if a bunch of men get together and start their own church? 
Did God start the church? Or did they start the church? Well, they started the church because they were all unhappy with their respective pastors. So we get together and start a new church. That's not God's way. God's way is submission to authority. Prayer meetings are wonderful. Me and Brother Roy had prayer meeting every Sunday night and, and it developed into something incredible. But there we had a very clear and concise pecking order, if you wish. Brother Roy was never tried to overt his authority. He's always been in submission to me. Even though I'm a much younger man than him, even though I'm a lot less experienced than, I, than he is in the Word, even though he's been saved a lot longer than me, he's never had a single day's problem in submitting. In fact, he said to me one day, and I hope you don't mind, he said to me, Pastor, when you first arrived, I didn't, wasn't too comfortable with you. But then I prayed, and the Lord said, you better just get in the authority of that man. And I said, from that day, I'm not, I'm not going to argue. You, Lord said it, I'm in submission. Now, Brother Roy is an older man, experienced in the Word, experienced with the Lord. And he said to me, I'm in submission, Pastor. What you say goes. The man's older than me. But his blessings will come because he's in submission to the man of God appointed over him. He could have turned around like some men and said, who do you think you are? Why should I submit to you? Why should I believe anything you say? Amen. We need to be in submission to one man of God. We can't have five, six, seven, because a two-headed cat will be killed. A two-headed cat in, in Africa is killed. When a lion's born with two heads, they kill it. If an elephant is born with two heads, they kill it. There's no two-headed animal that can exist. And when we get into prophecy, too many people think, well, I prophesy too. Yes, Miriam. And look what happens here. Verse 31. For you can all prophesy. Everybody can prophesy. In fact, in the book of Joel, it says, At the end of the days, I will pour out my spirit, and all men will have visions and dreams. Young men will prophesy, old men will prophesy. Every single spiritual Christian should be prophesying. At some stage or another in your life, you should be prophesying. If you're not prophesying at some stage in your life, I'm concerned about your salvation. Daniel's prophesied. Every man, woman, and person in this church has at some stage or another prophesied, whether you know it or not. We're all going to prophesy. But that doesn't make you a Miriam. Miriam prophesied. And she rebelled against the authority in her life. And it cost her leprosy. We will all prophesy. It's ordained by God in the book of Joel. It's confirmed by Peter in Acts chapter 3. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. You can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and become encouraged. I often say to you on a Sunday night, please pray for each other. Prophesy over each other under controlled conditions. I'm yet to say, hey, shut up. You've missed God there. You've got into the flesh there. I do it gently. But you need to be in a position where I can say to you, you have missed God there. Now stop. If you can't submit to that authority, you'll never grow. You'll never learn. All should be prophesying. Everybody should have dreams and visions. Glory to God. It's how God talks to us. I have submitted myself to a pastor who has submitted himself to a pastor. We should all be submitted to a prophet. If we are prophesying. 
Because sometimes we can miss it. And sometimes the prophecies do more damage than good. Because sometimes you prophesy of a newborn Christian who doesn't understand what to do with it. And then we have a mess. Like we had over here. Well, glory to God, my son-in-law didn't get a job. My son-in-law, daughter, and grandmother, and grandmom, grandpapa, all four of them are in sin. Because somebody prophesied over a person who didn't know what to do with it. And now we have a mess. We have four people out of the kingdom of God because one prophet wasn't submitted to the pastor of the church at the time and he spoke a prophecy in his haste and his excitement over a woman who didn't know what to do with it. And now we have four people who are mad at everyone who's a prophet. And one of them was mad at me because I'm a prophet too and I never ever missed it over her life ever. But because I'm a prophet, she's mad at me. All because one man was not in submission to the pastor at the time. And didn't say, Pastor, could I prophesy with that man? Will you know what to do with it? He just went ahead in his excitement. But glory to God, I've got a word from God. I've got to share it. Miriam. Let's go a little bit further. For God is not, verse 33, the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all churches of the saints. God will, the pastor of the church knows who you can share the prophecy with and who doesn't. I know my people. I know when you were saved. And you guys understand prophecies. If I go to a new church and I don't know the people, I don't just go and prophesy over everybody I see. Because that person might have walked in off the street that night. He gets a prophecy and he runs out there and says, Man, these guys are quaky weird. I have to submit to the pastor and say, Pastor, who can I prophesy over? This is the word. What do you think? He knows his people more than I do. And if he doesn't share that word, it's his problem, not mine. That's exactly. When I first arrived here, I first said, Pastor Ronnie, I have this word. Can I share it with this person? And until the day he left, every single word I submitted to him. And if he said no, that was it. I didn't share it with anybody. It came to pass, whether he said yes or no, but I didn't share it. Amen. We've got to go some places here quickly. Let's go to the first book of Timothy. Let's go to the first book of Timothy, chapter 4, from verse 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. That's known as Presbyterian prophetic. When the Presbyterian lays hands on you, they impart a gift to you. I cannot impart something into you that I don't have inside of me. If you want to flow in prophecy, you go out to a prophet. If you want to flow in the gift of increase, you go to Crefler Dollars Ministry. If you want the anointing of humor, you sit on a Jesse DePlantis. It doesn't make you a Jesse DePlantis, but it will give that gift that's inside of him will activate what's inside of you. You want to flow in laughter, you sit on a Rodney Howard Brown. That doesn't make you a Rodney Howard Brown, the second junior twice removed. But it will activate that laughter gift, that little bit that's inside of you, that potential is inside of you. 
what he says here. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy. Paul says very clearly, that gift was given to you by prophecy. We cannot argue the gift was given by prophecy. Prophecy is very important. Another thing that can be given by prophecy or given by divination is a devil. A devil can be given to you by divination. A curse can be placed on, through, on you through divination. You're not supposed to submit to anyone's prophetic word except via your pastor. Because I get, past, I get prophets driving past you every day, just about. Maybe it's an exaggeration, not anymore. They used to come past. Now they come past once every six months. When I first arrived, I had them coming every day. Pastor, I've got a prophecy for you. Glory to God, put it on paper and give it to me. No, 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 it's a pro- I'm going to pray for you. No, you're not touching me. I don't know who your pastor is. I don't know which church you come from. Don't touch me. The Bible says, don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Don't let any man lay hands on you. You got a prophecy. Put it in writing. Give it to me. If they say, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, it wasn't from God anyway. It was from God. I'll put it in writing and give it to you. And then you bring it to your pastor who prays over with you and says, yes or no. It, It comes back to the concept that Pastor Philip's teaching on spiritual fatherhood. Anyone feeds my son without me being there is going to get a slap. You want to feed him, I need to know what you're feeding him. You're getting fed, I want to need to know what you're getting fed. Because you might be getting some junk off TV. You might be getting some flaky stuff from some flaky pastor. I need to know what you're getting fed. I'm responsible for you whether you like it or not. And until you leave the church, I'm still responsible for what you're getting fed. And sometimes even after you left the church, I'm still responsible for what you're getting fed. I want to know what you're getting fed. I don't want you getting fed some, some McDonald's burgers for the rest of your life and you get all fat and ugly. doesn't help me in the spiritual realm. doesn't help you either. It'll clog up your veins and you'll die. You don't need something that's nice. Tastes good. McDonald's tastes good. Clog up your veins and you'll die. You need something that'll make you spiritually grow. You need to have your toes stretched. You need to have your muscles stretched. Otherwise, you're going to... Hallelujah. Let's go to First Timothy chapter 1. And let's look at something else. Chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. You've got to take that prophecy and you've got to fight with that prophecy. Now, if you've got a prophecy from, 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 hallelujah. If you've got a prophecy from some flaky pastor who I don't know and who hasn't been approved by me, and you're fighting with this prophecy, you might be wasting your time. You better make sure that the word you get comes from a man of God who you either know or you know his pastor. You all know my pastor, my pastor, Pastor Philip. You all know my man of God. If you can't respect my man of God, you can't respect me. And I appreciate that. But you need to know whoever prophesies over you has been approved by your pastor. Any flake can say, thus saith the Lord. And if he's not firmly grounded in a church with a pastor, he won't come near this pulpit. Nobody will preach from behind this pulpit, not behind, that's not firmly grounded in a church with a pastor for at least five years. If you haven't been there for five years, don't even think of calling me. You're not coming near this church. There's enough flakes out there. If you can't sit in one church for five years, you're verging on being a flake. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. This is the third church I've been to in my life. 
third church. That's three. I get into a church, I stay there until God moves me. If you can't stay in a church until God moves you, I don't want you prophesying over me. If you're a prophet, you're going to go through some things. And you're going to go through some serious attacks. If you've got the courage to call yourself a prophet, you better have the battle scars to prove it. Because you will have some spiritual battle scars if you're a prophet. You will have called to give up everything if you're a prophet. And you'll know. You will see a prophet by his fruit. If he starts prophesying and he misses 8 out of 10, then you believe 8 out of 10. If he hits it every single time, you believe every single time. But if he's hitting it 1 out of 10, then don't even waste your... We had a man at our meeting one Wednesday and he started prophesying over everybody. And I looked at him and said, Oh, brother, don't say anything to me. I'm not really interested in what you got to say. Well, why are you so arrogant? And I said, Well, you walk into this meeting. No one knows you. No one knows who your pastor is. No one knows who your church is. And you're telling us all about our future. You're wasting my time. You're a man of God. I'll know something about your past before I look at what you're going to talk about me. Well, that's just arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. It's wise. I want to know who's prophesying over me. I want to know who's speaking into my life. I want to know that they've got some background. They've got some backbone. They've got something in them that I want. I don't want some has-been diviner prophesying over me. I don't want some witch who reads her, her little her crystal ball prophesying over me. I don't want some idiot who can't stay in a church for longer than six weeks because the pastor didn't like what he had to say, so he left after six weeks and he calls himself a prophet. No pastor likes a prophet. Pastors do not like prophets. They like them for six months, they hate them for 18 months. They like them for six months, they hate them for two years. And if you can't go through that, then don't try and be a prophet. If you can't stick it out and the pastor hates your guts, doesn't want to speak to you, don't be, man, I've never found a pastor ever like me. I've never been in a church where a pastor has liked me for longer than six months. But I've never left that church either. I stick it out and one pastor said to me, you got, you like concrete, you don't move. I said, pastor, God told me to be here. He didn't tell me you're going to like me. In fact, he said you're not going to like me. And he said we're going to fight. But he didn't tell me to leave. I won't leave until God told me to leave. I sat in my office in the little corner and people walked in there and called me every name under the sun, short of cussing me out. And the woman said to me, well, aren't you going to leave? I said, no. She said, take gone. I just tried to get you to leave and you won't leave. I said, no. I won't be budged by anything other than God. Man, my flesh gets in the way. And I say, oh, glory to God, that's it, I'm out of here. But not only God's going to move me. You see, I've been through one or two fights. Just one or two, not too many. I've, had, I've got the scars to prove it. But I won't be moved. Unless God moves me. And we have to be submitted to the prophet in your life. If you want to receive the reward. And having a prophet as a pastor is a double-edged blade because sometimes it's a tremendous blessing and other times, man, it's a pain where it hurts like you don't want to know because he reads your mail and he tells you things about you don't like to hear and he steps all over your toes from the pulpit. 
and other times it's oh glory to God he knows exactly what I'm going through and when he preaches the sermon he preaches directly to my heart at that particular time and it's as if he was there with me that week and he was just preaching to me and other times all he does is beat me down how many of you have been beat down lately? Yeah, we've all better bash on the head every now and again and how many times have you been lifted up as well? and now let's just take Rhonda don't take her because then she won't be in church. But let's just take Rhonda for example here quickly before, for, just after this we'll change the tape. Rhonda comes to me and says, I want to move. That's promotion. It's going to be salary increase. It's going to be more money. It's going to be better hours. And the prophet says, no, don't do that. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Can't you see the, the pleasure, the joy, the increase, the money? It's going to be more tithe. And he says, don't do that. Now, she has a choice to make. The worldly choice is, don't listen to the man of God, because what does he know anyway? And the spiritual choice is, well, listen to what he's got to say, because every other time he's been right. You see, you, you get a prophecy, you have a, a choice to make. You can receive it, or you can reject it. And if you reject it, it'll go for somebody else. Krefla Dollar asked God, why did you choose me? And the Lord said, I didn't choose you. You're the third choice. Two others refused it. Amen. David, change the state for us, brother. Alrighty, we're gonna we're gonna take a